morning, everybody. Welcome to Northgate Baptist. And just join us in worship.
Thank you, worship team. That was fantastic. Oh, so good. So glad we were able to worship with you guys this morning. Um, yeah, welcome to the Northgate live stream. My name is Garrett. Um, well, I'm the youth pastor here, and I'll be giving some announcements. There aren't many announcements. Well, okay, there's tons. They're just all very little ones. Um, so please look at the bulletin. If you go to our main website and just scroll down like a tiny little bit, there's like bold letters that says something, something live stream. Just below that, a little box, weekly bulletin. Click on that, download it. Website, scroll down, button, download. That's like four steps. So check it out. Um, a couple highlights. Uh, there is a missions update for our missionaries. Uh, oh my goodness, I'm going to butcher this. It's an easy name. Elsie. So easy. What, what's my problem? Elsie in Cameroon and uh, Nathan in Saskatchewan. There's uh, updates about them and their families in the bulletin. Please download that. Check that out. Uh, the men's breakfast is on April 24th. It's going to be online, so please contact Arnold for details. Speaking of Arnold, he is speaking this morning. So uh, thank you so much, Pastor Mark, is getting some well-deserved time off. And uh, Arnold is here covering for him um, as uh, he very much needs. Uh, there you go. That's, that's it for highlights. Uh, make sure you download the bulletin because there are... Again, announcements are there. If you haven't checked out it last week, this is a good time to get to it. Allow me to pray for the, um, for the rest of the live stream, and we will get moving. God, we, uh, we thank you for who you are. We thank you um, for the ways you've blessed us, um, the individuals in our congregation who can put together the technology needed, and, and God, for the money that we have that we can get and, and afford this technology to uh, be able to meet um, online, be able to worship you uh, with other members online. God, and uh, pray as we, um, as we hear from Rod's kids time this morning, as we hear from uh, Arnold's message, um, that you would, you would speak to our hearts, you would transform our minds and our lives, God, as, uh, as we hear um, from your word how faith works. God, we thank you for all these things in your name. Amen. That's right, from our own North
That's right. That's right. From our own Northgate Baptist Church lobby, it's Kingdom Kids with Rod. Films in front of a totally convincing live studio audience. Good morning. I am so excited this morning on our Kingdom Kids moment. This morning, we have a special guest to join us this morning. Please put your hands together and welcome Pastor Garrett Kloppenhauer. Thank you, Pastor Garrett. Oh, it's my pleasure. You're welcome. So I want to um, talk to you guys this morning about trust. Garrett, we've known each other for a few years. How long has it been? <laughs> about about two years. Two, two Sorry, years. Sorry, I was distracted. I had my mask on. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Safety first. So, <laughs> two years, and we're coworkers and friends. And uh, Garrett, do you trust me? I'd say, well, okay, it depends. Yes. Yeah. I'll say yes for now. <laughs> for the sake of the. Uh, object lesson today, yeah, okay, great. So this morning, I want to teach you guys about trust. Now, I have this jug of water here, right? And I'm going to pour this water into this cup. You guys see this? Oops, I'm spilling. <laughs> and I got some water there. And I want Garrett to uh, pick up that glass, please. All right, and I'll give it a little swish around, and you see the water in there? Yeah, that's water in there. That's water in there. So Garrett... I want you, how do you feel about holding that cup there? Uh, I feel like I'm holding the cup oh, of water. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so Garrett, the next step I want you to do, since you trust me, is I want you to hold the cup a little bit higher. Just to your head, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, you're doing a good job That's right easy. here. Yeah. Yeah, that's easy, yeah. <laughs> so now, Garrett, um, do you trust that if you put that cup over your head that you won't get wet? Excuse me? <laughs> so I'm asking you, Pastor Garrett, if you just raise that cup a little bit and tip it, what do you think will happen? I think, Rod, that I'll get wet. Well, let's try it out and see if you get wet. <laughs> tip it some more, Garrett. Oh my goodness. Look at that. He didn't get wet. <laughs> so I want to talk to you guys this morning about trust. And God wants us to trust in him, even if things seem difficult, or we're going through a hard time in life, or even if things don't make sense. God wants us to trust in him. And I want to share a verse from you from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do, not, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much, God, that we can trust in you. And God, we just thank you so much that you are there for us, Lord. And we just want to put our trust in you. And we have faith, God, that you will take care of us, Lord, no matter how hard the circumstances are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Garrett, for joining us this morning. You're very welcome. I'll see you guys next week. Trust in the Lord and you will make your 
Good morning, everyone. When I was seven years old, before I was working in food science as a career, I was at a wiener roast with some family friends. We were roasting wieners and then put them on buns and eat them with the usual relish, mustard, and ketchup. But I wanted to try something back different. I put mustard and ketchup on a wiener and then I roasted it. I was not very impressed with the taste of it at all. I learned that some things needed to be done in order. Heat the wiener, then add the ketchup and the mustard. When you start your day, do you have a set routine? When you get out of bed, do you have your shower first, or your exercises first, or your breakfast first? Normally, it doesn't matter which comes first. But there are some things that must be done in a certain order if you're going to be successful. Paul the Apostle uses the picture of setting a foundation of a building as one of the first and most important aspects of putting up a building. All of us are familiar with the Leaning Tower of Pisa, aren't we? It was not built on a very, foundation, very solid foundation. In a laboratory, the success of a test depends on the order of chemicals added in doing the test. In a kitchen at home, there's no way you can serve the food before you prepare it. When you tell a joke, you lead up to a, a punchline, but you don't start off with it. For example, this couple was speeding along the highway. They were an elderly couple. Two officers saw them and gave chase. They ignored the police car. The police turned on their siren. Then the couple stopped. When asked why they were speeding, the couple replied, at our age, if we don't get to our destination quickly, we forget where we're going. Likewise, as we're going in our spiritual life, we must learn to live an ordered life. What do I mean by this? There are some things that must come first before other things can follow. Today, I'd like to present the topic of how faith and works fit in their proper role. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together that we can gather in your presence to study your word. We thank you for what you have revealed to us and commit this time to you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. What is the most important first step there is in the Christian life? The answer is obvious. We must come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in our lives. Mark 1.14 says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Paul makes it abundantly clear that it is important that we first come to understand the gospel, and that is found in 1 Corinthians 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins, he rose from the dead to show us that the payment was sufficient to cover the sins of everyone who would believe. It is only a few weeks ago that we celebrated 
Resurrection Sunday or Easter. When a person is saved from the wrath of God that is to come upon this world, that person is called saved. We are saved from the penalty of our own sin, which Jesus bore on the cross on our behalf. How did the Jews believe that they, were, that they obtained their salvation? Although the Jews were descended from Abraham, Abraham who believed God and was justified by his faith, the Jews believed that they had to obey the law in order to earn God's acceptance. The Jews had neglected the aspect of faith which is foundational to our relationship with God. God is the worker of miracles in our lives. We trust in him to put our lives together. Paul said in Philippians 3.9, We are to be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. God, Paul pounded this message over and over and over again because the Jews held tightly to their belief that if they kept the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law, that they were in good standing with God. Paul makes it very clear that if we can be made right with God through the law, Christ died in vain, Galatians 2.21. Paul goes on to say, According to the grace of God given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's our first reading. Once the foundation is laid, then we're to build upon it. We're to build carefully on this new foundation given to us, for it is clear from Paul that what we put on this foundation will be tested. If it stands up to the fire, we will get a reward. If it doesn't, is all lost? Paul makes it clear that our eternity with God is not in jeopardy, although our sense of loss could be very great. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. If a tragedy happens and a house is on fire, there is a great loss. People who escape the fire are so grateful if no lives of their family or pet is lost, but the loss is definitely very great. Who wants to live their whole life only to learn that it was all in vain? So God does his work in saving us, and then we are to build carefully on the foundation that he gives us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them.
That's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. If you've been through Awana, that's one of the verses we memorized. Verse 10 states very clearly that we are why we are all here. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Otherwise, God would say, okay, you're saved. You can go immediately to heaven. Do not pass go. God has redeemed us on earth for three purposes. Number one, to proclaim the good news to those who have not heard. Number two, to meet the needs of one another in the body of Christ. And number three, to reach out and meet the needs of those in our community, in our social circles. But you would say, but grace means I don't need to work hard, right? Paul would definitely disagree with you. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Paul put in great effort in sharing the gospel and also in overcoming the obstacles that were in his path. In fact, J. Warner Wallace, author of Cold Case Christianity, has said very clearly, when I became a Christian, life became much harder for my wife and me. So grace is God's gift to us, but it doesn't take away our effort. We must still work physically and spiritually. When we come to faith in Christ by God's grace, we apply our energies to pleasing God. He, but keep in mind that we are his by his grace and our relationship through Christ. Like in any relationship, we choose to spend time and nurture our relationship, communicating with God daily and reading his word. May we guard against the notion that we need to do something in order for God to love us. God is love. Think of it this way. Do you love your children or grandchildren because they are, he or she is disobedient? No, we love them because they are our children or grandchildren. It warms our heart to see our children get along with one another, obeying and sharing their toys. Our relationship with God is secure. Our obedience, effort, and work are to bring glory to God. If we abandon our love for God, the Holy Spirit is grieved. May we always remember that we owe our very lives to God and strive never to grieve our Savior, who is also our creator and sustainer, or the Holy Spirit. You may ask, what kind of work are you talking about? That is between you and God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells in you and me. He is the one who is the author of our life. I'll come back with some practical ideas in a few minutes. In Philippians 3, verses 12 to 16, we read, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying, work for your salvation. He's given you salvation. Now work it out. Use it as a benefit for others, for the glory of God. You've been given a ministry. Now fulfill it. 
our daughter has just graduated from uh, Grant McEwen. She's got a degree. Now she is to use it. In the same way we too have been given salvation, let us use it. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God has gifted you. Use those gifts to reach others for Christ. Apply them diligently. God will lead you. Follow him and willingly serve. We go on. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of God, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. But you say, many people do good work, and they don't have any kind of foundation of faith in Christ. Yes, I know what you mean. When disaster hits, many people come and help, help out, whether it's floods, fire, earthquakes, or any disaster. Some of the helpers serve out of compassion, which comes from the remnant of the faith of their parents or grandparents. It amazes me how people will come from around the world to help in China or elsewhere, but sometimes the nationals don't even lift a finger. There are others who do good to make a good name for themselves. It looks good on a resume to say that you were in Thailand when that tsunami hit a number of years ago. But I think the difference between someone who serves on a firm foundation and someone who doesn't have that foundation is the cost they're willing to pay. The one on the firm foundation is the one who understands the words of Jim Elliot. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Our lives are temporal. Our eternal life will be something we will keep. So if we give up our, e our present life for eternal life, that's a good investment. During the Middle Ages, when the Black Plague hit, people fled from the cities. Only the Christians came and helped in ministering to the sick. Many who helped gave their lives in serving the sick. They paid the price for helping. They chose to help, even at the cost of their own lives. But does the Bible give examples of people who were occupied with good works? Yes, it does. In Acts 9, verse 36, we read about Dorcas. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. That's one example. In his letters, Paul names many people who serve in the kingdom of God. Priscilla, Aquila, Timothy, Titus. You can find a lot of names at the end of many of the epistles, uh, specifically Romans 16. In 1 Timothy 5.10, those widows deserving of support ought to be devoted to good works. Both Jesus and Paul urged us to do the same. Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before others 
so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Titus 2.7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity. Jesus, who gave himself to us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works, Titus 2.14. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on this uncertainty of riches, but to set their hopes on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That's in 1 Timothy 6. Now James makes it clear that faith and works go together. Our salvation in the Lord gives rise to the works that we do. If there are no works, whatever, our faith is dead. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be fill, warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's James 2, 15, 16, and 17. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. Our faith comes to full expression in love where and when we apply ourselves in caring for our family, our church family, and our neighbors, loving them by doing good to them. When Paul speaks about building with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble or straw, building with gold, silver, and precious stones, there will be a test of fire. The wood, hay, and straw will burn up. Some people would say that the wood, hay, and stubble pertain to the things of this world, which will burn up. Therefore, they say, let us not worry about worldly things. But others say that wood, hay, and stubble refer to shabby work, while the gold, silver, and precious stones represent excellent work. Think of it this way. If you buy a pair of cheap shoes, they'll last you perhaps six months. If you buy a pair of good shoes, they could last you years. Cheap is good if you only need something to work for the short term. Good quality will last for years. I still have a wool blanket from when I was a preschooler. He who is faithful in the little things will be faithful in the big things. If we do small things well, the Lord will entrust us with bigger responsibilities. First, sorry, Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not men. 
A significant and often overlooked way that we serve God is in our everyday tasks. Martin Luther, Martin Luther understood this when he wrote, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays, not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes, because God is interested in good craftsmanship. So whatever you do, do it well and heartily as unto the Lord. I have one last question for you. Does the faith which justifies us in the sight of God override the law of Moses and what we see in the Old Testament? Romans 3, 28 to 31 answers this question. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So God justifies both the Jew and the Gentile by faith. Then Paul answers, asks the big question, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The faith that God desires began in Abraham, our father. The law of Moses came 400 years later. We are justified by faith, but Paul says that after that, we uphold the law. We rest in Christ alone to save us from our sins, but we uphold the law. Its purpose was never to justify us. We observe the Ten Commandments for our own good, not to justify us. God's laws are there so that we can live without hurting ourselves or others. In following and obeying Christ, we do observe the commandments. But what was the original intent of the law? And we find that in Galatians 3, 23 to 5. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under the guardian. But we have not done away with the law because Christ indeed came to fulfill the law. Now, I want to leave you with six applications plus one. The first application is rejoice in your salvation and repent. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. In other words, Check to make sure that your foundations are in good order. The Lord is speaking to us, sanctifying us, and growing us up to be more like Jesus. Our repentance to be, is to be a continuous process. In other words, it's a part of our regular Christian life. When we examine our lives, if we notice something that needs changing, then we do something about it. 
This is called repentance. Dr. Henry Cloud wrote a book years ago called Never Go Back. He was going to call his book Repentance, but his publishers told him no one would buy a book by the name Repentance. So he retitled it Never Go Back, which is what repentance means. As we live each day, we learn from our mistakes and those of others too. We're continually growing in sanctification spiritually as well as practically, but we call that learning from experience. So that I have never roasted hot dogs with ketchup and mustard ever since. As we grow in the Lord, we become more mature, more stable, more loving, and more focused on God. When we grow in the Lord, we become much more authentic to who we are, whom we were created to be. Number two, be sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Very often, the Holy Spirit gives us opportunity to perform a random act of kindness. But if we're too busy, we, we don't have the time. But if we leave margin in our lives, then we are able to spend a little extra time. We're not as rushed and more relaxed. If we add 10 minutes to our schedule, then we have that few minutes to help someone who might need help, whether it's with a child or someone who just dropped their groceries. Many people, and I speak to myself on this matter, like to cram as many things as we can into the time allotted. So if we add those extra minutes, we have that time to give someone a word of encouragement. If we're too busy, we may forfeit a blessing. That blessing is an opportunity to serve. If we feel the Lord moving and calling you or me to act, we ought to obey and be blessed. Sometimes our most precious work is that of being a good listener, not only to the Holy Spirit, but also to the person who needs someone to unburden their heart. Number three, practice the presence of God. There's a book written by Brother Lawrence called The Practice of the Presence of God. I know when I was working in my career in food science, I often asked myself, what is the eternal value in this? But if we commit all of our work to the Lord, it all has eternal value because it brings glory to God if it is well done and is done to his honor and glory. A.A. A. Milne, author of Winnie the Pooh, was an only child. When he was growing up, he remembered the one occasion when he spent the whole day with his dad. He considered it the best day of his life. His workaholic father wrote in his own diary for that day, it was a wasted day. What may seem insignificant to you may be a huge blessing to someone else. So whether you're peeling potatoes, washing dishes, doing the laundry, playing with your children, may you feel the Lord's presence in all that you do and offer it to the Lord. Number four. You are a minister in the body of Christ. Encourage one another in serving in a ministry. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Those who belong to Christ have been building upon a foundation which has been laid down for us. 
We are to build carefully on this foundation. We build up our ministry in unique ways. Ways that honor God. Just as every part of the body is important, so too every part of the church is important. From Sunday school teachers to helpers to pastoral staff, everyone serves a function in the body of Christ. Even children have a role in service. I remember Ben Ferris being so helpful and willing to help at Awana. Sometimes we minister just by being ourselves. Number five. Seek opportunities to minister outside the walls of the church. Matthew 25 tells us that we indeed serve in many different ways. And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did to me. We can feed, give drink, clothing, visit the sick, visit the imprisoned, welcome strangers. However, in our very different world, we can serve in many other ways, some very creatively. We can be chauffeurs, cleaners, movers, drivers, babysitters, handymen, handywomen, serve in the soup kitchen. There are a variety of tasks that people need help with. If a neighbor is sick or recovering from illness, or an injury, you can offer to cook a couple meals for them. Write a letter of encouragement. Write an email. Text someone. All of these are ways that we can encourage one another. But I do give you one warning, one caveat. Let your family put a cap on your helpfulness, lest you fix all the leaks in the neighborhood, but neglect the ones under your own roof. Your family is your first priority. Number six, know your limit and rest. In Luke 9.10, we read, On their return, the apostles told them all that they had done. And he, meaning Jesus, took them and withdrew apart to a town named Bethesda. As Pastor Mark pointed out last weekend, one fellow by the name of Mark Buchanan burnt himself out because his serving had gone to seed. Consider what you can do, but don't wear yourself out. If you're overwhelmed, ask for help. Many hands make light work. Family first, then help others as you are able. A balanced life consists of work and rest. Don't be a hero and skip your rest cycle. A good working engine like your heart, includes a rest in between all the work in the work cycle. Take a Sabbath day's rest, not to observe the law, but for your own sanity and health. I remember a speaker years ago telling us that sometimes a rest cycle may be a season, just as winter months are a rest period for our gardens and yards so too we may be called to rest for a prolonged period. An example of this are the ministries that take a break during the summer. But you'll say, but pastor, I'm a shut-in. I have no strength in me left. I'm, I guess I'm out to pasture, spiritually speaking. No, you're not. Your spirit is strong in the Lord. Your flesh may be weak. 
So consider your work as a prayer warrior. Prayer moves mountains and hearts. If you have physical limitations, focus on your ability as a spiritual warrior. Pray for our country. Pray for our leaders. Pray for the church. Ask your fellow believers in Christ how you can pray for them. Ask your neighbors their needs. Pray for them. Even when your physical strength is low, you can continue to pray and bless others by your prayers. We read in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for the gift of salvation and for the opportunity to serve and Lord, we thank you for the foundation of faith. We ask that we may be found faithful in our service to you, to others in our lives. Guide us, we ask, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom belongs all the glory and honor. We give praise. In Jesus' name, amen.
Come and join us in the river. Come find life beyond compare. He is called. He is waiting. Jesus longs to meet you there. serve the Lord. Thank you.